now, get ready to talk hockey. Streaming from the Oilers Live Studio. Subscribe or follow today. Hey, 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 it's Michael here again for another Tuesday edition of Oilers Live. I'm pretty excited. I've got a pretty neat guest, at least the way I think, very neat guest. He is the, uh, he's a hockey historian, let's call him, and the author of uh, now two books, uh, Hockey 365. Uh, what's it, Daily Reading? Is that what it is? Or daily stories from the ice, and then uh, hockey through sixty-five, the second period. More daily stories from the ice. Awesome, yeah, yeah. There, uh, there's a mouthful there if you get the full title <laughs> in, I guess. But yeah, uh, excellent, uh, excellent books, both of them. Uh, highly rated. Uh, some pretty neat reviews, if I might add, by some pretty big names uh, in your industry and uh, in the in the hockey world. Uh, Thank thanks, you. thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So I, you know, I read the the pregame, as you call it, and uh, yeah. the idea for Hockey 365 came to you on a beach of all places. Is it, that right? It did indeed. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I mean, run me through that. Like, were you just sitting in there, relaxing, enjoying the sun, and, and all of a sudden you thought, well, I should, you know, what day is it today? And this is what happened on that day? Or, or how did that come about? Yeah, so at, at that point, I had been writing about hockey um, for a couple of years uh, during that season in particular. So this was I was on that beach in Mexico in February of 2017. So that was my first re- season writing for Vice Sports quite regularly. So I was building up um, a, a pretty decent portfolio, and I also had some other opportunities with places like Sportsnet. Uh, so I was kind of starting to amass some of these stories, and at the same time, I was also doing daily moments in hockey history from my Twitter account. Um, have my Camito. And so I just kind of, you know, thought more and more about it and that what I was building up, maybe that could lend itself to a book. And the reason I thought about that was because at that time, because of all the hockey writing I was doing, all I was reading were hockey books. And at that time, I happened to bring Val James's autobiography to Mexico. And I was reading his book, which is again, a great book, Black Ice, if you haven't checked it out before. And it just kind of struck me that I read so much hockey stuff that if I really wanted to write a book, I should write a hockey book. And at that time, I was actually under contract with the university press to take my PhD dissertation and turn it into a book. And I just couldn't get going with it. I had, you know, I had been putting it off every day after work. I'd put it off, put it off, put it off until eventually I just realized I, my heart wasn't in it. I didn't want to do it. And so uh, on my way back from Mexico, I started to sketch out a plan of, of what I wanted to write. And it was essentially what would become Hockey 365. We got back in Sudbury. I emailed uh, the university press and asked to, to get released from my contract. They happily obliged. No money had changed hands. So it was kind of just a clean break. Uh, I hadn't really done anything on it anyway. So I don't think they were missed out on too much of an investment. And then I, uh, I got to work on trying to figure out how I could make Hockey, hockey 365 uh, a reality. Yeah, that's excellent. And and thank you for it. I mean, I... I uh, <laughs> I think it was brown bears or black bears was the history. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. black bears. Yeah, black bears. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, I love black bears, but I, I doubt I'd be reading a history book on black bears. So, I'm <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a big part of my life for for a good five years. That's that's what I was writing about, and of course, because of that, all the gifts I was getting from family and friends were all bear related. So, you know, like uh, I had a, a black bear tie, you know, any kind of like accessory that had a bear on it, they bought it for me. My parents even bought me, you know, a black bear toilet seat. 
Um, <laughs> my wife refused to bring that into the first house we bought. So I think it's, it stayed at my parents' house. It's still there. Um, so it never made the trip to the new house, but that was, that was our lives was every year. It was like black bear stuff. we got to get it for Mike. So <laughs> that's, well, that's right on. That's right on. I, um, I've got to ask, cause and now you've had, you've had this book out. You had the first one, which I think had some success and, and, um, certainly a lot of people read about it. And in fact, the reason you're here tonight has a little bit to do of, I happen to be in a bookstore and I snapped a picture of, uh, a bunch of, uh, hockey books. And uh, and ask you know the Twitter community. Uh, my following is a little smaller than yours. I asked them, you know, what are you guys reading for hockey books? And of course, you know, a couple of people came in and and piped up and said, "Well, I'm I'm reading Hockey 365," and they tagged you in there. And uh, and so that was. And then I saw that you had uh, written the second uh, the the second period edition. Mm-hmm. And so wanted to have you on here. Uh, I've thankfully, and thanks to you, I've had a chance to read that. Uh, some really great stories. A lot of, I'll tell you, it's a ton of stuff I never knew about. And uh, I didn't actually think you could find a um, something for every day of the year, right? I mean, you'd figure come around late July, or, you know, early August, it'd be pretty slim pickings. Uh, was it hard to find items for those uh like those kind of off-season areas yeah i mean to be honest uh i I get that question a lot for the dog days of summer because certainly i think you know the signings and the you know the other transactions start to dry up uh especially late july and and well into august right and so but there's always at least something that's happened um and typically they're just on paper transactions and moves that that occur but what they allow you to do is kind of think outside the box so again the one one example that's always stuck in my head is um you know, Archer Zerbe signing a contract with the Hurricanes, you know, at some point in the in the dog days of summer. But I was able to use that in the first book as a jumping off point to kind of talk about his career up to that point. You know, he had been kind of, you know, bounced around a little bit. Um, and then, you know, after signing in Carolina, he had a resurgence there. So I, I think when you have those moments in the summertime, even though nothing really happens on that day other than somebody putting pen to paper, um, you can really kind of use that to step outside of that actual moment in hockey history and explore what happened that led up to that signing or trade. Uh, and then obviously to talk about what, what happened. I think that's the nice thing about history is we have the gift of, of hindsight that we can look back and you know evaluate that signing or that trade and say it worked out quite well for the player of the team or you know in some cases it didn't. And you can kind of talk about that rather than just focusing on what happened that day because by and large, those signings, there's nothing really notable about what happened unless, of course, you know, there was a press conference. And But if there's a press conference about that signing, it's probably not happening in August, right? It's probably yeah. happening on, on July 1st or whenever free agency opens in a given year, right? So I didn't mind that. I found that um, obviously because of the pandemic, uh, you know, there were, mo- there were some moments to choose from because for the first time, you know, in NHL history, we had meaningful games being played in August and then well into September. I tried not to load up on those because I think we've all had enough of, of the pandemic. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, that was only a year ago. So as much as um, I think that'll give me some more ammunition in future volumes, if we do the third period in overtime, um, we can kind of look back on, you know, even the 2021 playoffs where games are played, you know, further into July uh, than ever before. I think there's enough now uh, that you can look back and really kind of fill up those days. But I prefer being able to kind of step outside the box and just focus more on, player stories and team stories when it comes to those signings in the summertime. Yeah. Yeah. No, that make you know what? That makes a lot of sense. There's a couple of things come to mind when you're doing something like this and all of the research. 
What's uh, so if, one of the first things? What's the oldest story that you've published so far to date? Do you do you know offhand? Yeah, so I think in the first book we had, um, I it was a story about the when the first rules of hockey were formally published, and uh, you know that was in 1875. So that was definitely the oldest one in the first book. I believe in this book I have a story um, between the first hockey game between Harvard and Yale. And I can't recall the exact date off the top of my head. I want to say it's 1912. Uh, certainly predated the NHL's uh, arrival. Um, so as, as much as the book is called Hockey 365, it definitely does predominantly pull from the NHL, which, of course, you know, was founded in 1917. And so you have a lot of stories from that period or from that date up until the most recent uh, 2020 playoffs. Uh, but certainly I, I tried to... I tried to find some of those unusual stories that people aren't as familiar with, um, but predominantly I'm pulling largely from, you know, the NHL era. Yeah. And uh, so I'm curious because I'm here and most of the people that watch or listen to the podcast uh, release. No, I, I'm uh, I'm based in Halifax now. And uh, I, I didn't realize this, but uh, Windsor, of course, Nova Scotia lays claim uh, to being the birthplace of hockey. Um, I didn't know that until I was out traveling across Nova Scotia about a couple months ago. Uh, anything about Windsor in there for the Nova Scotia folks that, uh, <laughs> that listen? No, no. So I don't want to tune out the, have the Nova Scotia folks tune out, but no, there's, uh, <laughs> Windsor did not make, uh, did not make the second period, but there, there will be a third period. So I well, will, I'll there make always a note. Is. <laughs> yeah, there always is. So I'll make a note, uh, that, uh, that should be on the list for the next one. Yeah. Did you, were you aware of that little fact, by the way? Yeah, no, I've heard, uh, I think there's, there's off. It's funny when you look back because there's obviously, uh, you know, hockey traces its origins back to, you know, indigenous peoples here in Canada. And certainly I think there's, there's other cities that have laid claim to, you know, Absolutely. being the, you know, the, the cradle of hockey or when did professional hockey form, which city had the first league. So that, that's a whole interesting thing. I didn't necessarily get into that too much in, in these volumes, but, uh, but I think definitely as, as a, as a hockey history lover and someone who's, I think consumed a lot of hockey history books over the years, uh, it certainly crops up, uh, in, in a lot of volumes I've read. Yeah. Now outside of yourself, is there a go-to historian that you'd, uh, you'd suggest or somebody that you, you know, if you had uh, somebody you could sit around a, a campfire with or at a party talking to uh, that you think of that uh, comes to mind that has a lot of hockey history up there in that noggin. Well, I would, I would have to honestly say uh, Jen Conway, who if any of your listeners know who that is, that's a, a at NHL history girl. Um, she's probably the, the OG when it comes to sharing hockey history moments on Twitter um, you know, I kind of followed in her footsteps and tried to, you know, do what she was doing, but I think kind of tailored to how I wanted to maybe convey some of those moments, uh, using, you know, video and gifts and things like that. But I think the the, her continued ability to continue to post, uh, interesting moments in hockey history. I think that she would, I think she seems like she's really good at, uh, at hockey trivia as well. I, I, I'm not a great trivia guy in, in any front. So as much as I think, you know, I loaded up my brain to with the research to get this book going. Um, I, I must say that I'm not great at trivia questions as much as I probably would have known the answer and filed it away to get a story done. Uh, it's just not something that stays with me. Um, but she seems like she'd probably be somebody you'd want to have at that party rhyming off facts. Um, I think she does a great job with her on the, on this day moments that she does as well, but also just kind of injecting 
these regular, uh, these, these other um, interesting facts throughout the day as well. So I think if you're going to have, you know, a hockey history party, you know, Jen is probably going to be number one on your list. Um, you know, I've also definitely appreciated a lot of the work that Stan Fischler has done over the years. Um, certainly go back to that and, and, and read some of his old volumes, I think are, are always great. I remember we were vacationing in, um, the Muskoka's a couple of years ago, went to an old bookstore and they had some of, you know, Stan's, uh, older books and I picked those up for a couple bucks, but they've certainly, uh, come in handy over the years just to kind of reference back and, and see what he was thinking at the time. Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, but and by the way, for those listening, uh, you can find uh, Jen uh, at NHL History Girl, and um, I uh, I definitely see her uh, her tweets come up once in a while. Uh, I wasn't following her. I am officially now. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. So that'd be uh, that'd be good. And and of course, um, are there any uh, Oilers historians that you uh, you took to? Obviously, you know. It, mostly Oilers fans that listen and, and, uh, and so, and there's a lot of Oilers history in the past, uh, well, more recent history, but, um, you know, any particular folks that you were in touch with or, you know, read, read through? Not necessarily anyone that I would think is necessarily labels themselves as a historian, but I think because passionate hockey fans, you know, by some extension, I think are passionate about the history of their teams. And so I think, there's there's quite a few Oilers accounts that I follow. Um, you know, Bruce McCurdy is one that comes to mind. Where again, I don't think Bruce would style himself as a historian, but I think certainly given his you know perspective and, and coverage of the game throughout the years, like I think he would is a go to uh, you know for some of that Oilers wisdom. So I, I think you know, yeah, I couldn't necessarily say a historian that comes to mind, but I think and I'm 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 kind of drawing a blank on some of those Oilers accounts. So I apologize. <laughs> You know, to, to those individuals out there, but but certainly I think uh, you've got to follow, I think, you know, the most ardent fans within those respective circles and through whoever it is, uh, you'll get like some great perspective on what's currently happening and somebody who's probably covered that team or watched that team develop over the years and they, they can recall, you know, some of the highs and lows uh, from, you know, from as far back as, as, as the 80s. Yeah, I, well, I I can think of a few, and uh, most of the people that listen again know who these are, like Bruce McCurdy. Uh, I don't know if you know Alan Mitchell, Low Tide. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bob Stoffer, another good of course. one. Uh, Bob seems to remember absolutely everything that's ever happened to him over the past forty years. Uh, incredible memory. Probably a guy you'd want at that uh, trivia contest. And then, of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, it would have been great to talk to Rod Phillips uh, at any time uh, to hear some of his perspectives going on the trail uh, with the Oilers during those big times. Of course, Hall, Hall of Famer as well. Yeah, so uh, I found it interesting, and and I and I actually I respect why you did it, but you didn't put an index in there, uh, and and no. you call that out. It's just so that uh, you know, folks like myself that are big fans of one team or the other don't just go in and read uh, specific stories tailored to that um, tailored to that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was kind of neat. And, um, and of course that's the first thing that came to mind was, Oh, where are all the Oilers stories? But uh, after yeah. I read, after I read your <laughs> explanation, I, I felt a little guilty thinking that. And so I, I did read it uh, day one through day three sixty five. Yeah, I appreciate that. That was definitely um, a conscious, or that was a deliberate decision with the first book. I don't think we made a note about why we didn't have the index, but it was for that exact reason you mentioned. Was 
we wanted people to try to read it cover to cover um, rather than just kind of skimming through their favorite teams or players. This time around, I obviously drew attention to that in case, you know, somebody were to ask again. I think one of the other things that people like to do uh, if once they realize there's no index and they can't find their favorite player or team is find your birthday and find out what happened on your birthday. That's always something that some people say to me when they've, when they've cracked the book for the first time is the first story I flipped through or flipped to, sorry, was, was my birthday. And they'll tell me what, you know, what happened on that day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that wouldn't, that doesn't surprise me. I actually didn't do that. Uh, no, maybe I'm, maybe I'm in the, in the weirder bunch, but uh, <laughs> wouldn't be the first time. Uh, now, curious, because you say, you know, there's other folks you'd like to have at that hockey trivia table. Is it something, though, I mean, you've put a lot of uh, blood and sweat into these uh, two volumes, no doubt. Uh, do you remember each day in particular? Like, would you be able to, say, wake up today and say September 14th? Well, you know, that's, you know, what happened on this day. Are you pretty good with that? Uh Sometimes, yes. It honestly depends. I think when you're living in it and you're like, cause when it comes time to write this book, it's basically just, um, it's like a mix between a marathon and a sprint because you're constantly working on it every day, but it is like through a protracted period of time. So um, just to kind of give you some inside baseball here, I started writing this book just kind of quietly on my own in June of last year. I hadn't contacted the publisher about whether or not we could explore a second volume or not. I just wanted to see if I had the appetite to do this all over again. Um, so I kind of went at it quietly for a couple months and I, you know, I think I'd made some good progress and I was happy with where it was going. I was enjoying everything. So then we finally, uh, we made things official in August of 2020. And then I had until January to complete the manuscript. So I had a, a couple months head start, but, uh, but it, it's a six month turnaround from when, uh, when that manuscript needs to be filed. And so when I did the first book, I didn't start writing until I had a formal agreement in hand. And so that was the same time period, August to January. So it was a really crazy ride for the first one. I knew how taxing it was to, to try to get all of that done outside of being at work and you know, trying to be a good dad and good husband. Uh, so this time I tried to build in at least a couple extra months of wiggle room. And I think in the moment, because every day you're focused on what am I going to write about today? How am I going to take this moment in history and distill it down to 350 words? You start to know where all these pieces kind of fit together. And so I think in that moment, your brain is trained to think about it in that way. And I think if you would ask me that question, you know, even, even six months ago when I was still in the thick of editing it, um, I could probably give you some, if you were to rhyme off random dates, I could probably tell you what they were. Um, to be honest right now, it would probably be luck of the draw. I'd probably have to look at the book myself. Even I'm thinking of my birthday and, uh, and I honestly don't even know what happened that day, what I wrote about in that book. Right. So it's, uh, it's, I think in the moment you're, you're so invested in it. And then once you've kind of cleared those major milestones, you kind of just let it all out. Uh, so you can move on to the next task. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's not, no big surprise. I mean, anytime anybody has written anything, right. Would, uh, probably tell you the same, you know, up to and the time that it, uh, you know, goes anywhere, you, you remember every seemingly every detail. And then, you know, once it's, uh, once you've hit send, so to speak, that's it. It kind of leaves your, yeah. <laughs> leaves your brain just as fast as it, 
as it went. Uh, so I, I did have uh, one comment uh, on Twitter about the uh, no Nova Scotia references, and and the question then was, what about the CHL or the Color Hockey League in the Maritimes in the eighteen hundreds? And um, and obviously, I, I I don't think that made it in, but you did reference Black Ice, and you referenced something else, which is you know kind of a theme, uh, you know, in in recent years, which is diversity. Uh, you've got obviously in the second period. I know your your focus is mainly on the NHL. I think though you did a um, a great job of incorporating uh, women's hockey and uh, and of course some of the uh, black hockey leagues and and that or black players in the league. Um, I think that's great. Uh, you know, I, I those things, I guess. You know, they have to be, it's got to be a conscious effort, I think, in order to include all of that. Did you find that uh, a sort of a difficult process in order to make that work out for the second period? No, yeah, because you're right. I think with this one, I had tried, you know, to do that more. I know that in the first book, um, despite the fact that it's Hockey 365, it was predominantly uh, focused on on the NHL. There was a couple stories about women's hockey history, or at least some women's moments in hockey in the first one. But the reason why I tried more this time around, and again, admittedly, it's still very much focused on on the NHL, which you know is and remains a, a predominantly white men's league. And so those are the stories that that are kind of uh, peppered throughout. But but I had I had people coming up to me after the first book who and who would tell me that. You know, my son or daughter isn't a huge reader, but they're a huge hockey fan and they read your book cover to cover. And so it kind of dawned on me that when I went into the first book writing this, I didn't think that, you know, kids would be my my target audience. Right? I, th- I thought I was writing for people like myself who wanted to, to read hockey history. And I think that's still a, you know, a big part of the audience. But I think because the book is, is, is written in such a way that I, I believe is, is fun and accessible and obviously by only by having each story just as a page, it's it's pretty uh, it's easily digestible from readers from the age of ten all the way up to to eighty, right? And so I think because I knew more about that this time around, I heard from parents that my son read this book and he loved it, and he can't stop you know rhyming off hockey history facts. I I felt that I had more of an obligation to try to dig up more of those stories that that sometimes get overlooked. Um, I think certainly there's still a long way to go. And I think that ultimately when it comes to the third, the third period um, or other later volumes that I still have a lot of heavy lifting to do, I think to bring more of those stories into focus. Um, you know, I think, you know, the, the colored people, the colored uh, people's hockey league was, did not make, did not make it into the second volume. That was actually a book that I had read during the pandemic. Um, it was just a matter of, I think sometimes trying to line up the dates and trying to find the corroborating evidence to make sure that, you know, what we've read or what we found actually happened on this day. Um, but I think that that's all part of the process. And I think that's the nice thing about hockey history is that, uh, it's, you could, you could fill multiple volumes, right? We could talk yeah. about going into overtime and, you know, sudden death, uh, second overtime, third overtime on and on and on. Right. So, um, certainly I don't think my job is done. I think there's still some more stories to tell and, and hopefully to, to expand the lens, you know, to include, to include all people in those stories as well. Yeah. No, I, and I think that's great. And I, and, um, you know, I admire. I'm I'm myself. am fifty uh, percent Cree, uh, so you know, recognize uh, you know the indigenous people and and their uh, contribution to the game of hockey and and um, you know I I I do appreciate when people make you know at least an effort to uh, do what they can to 
you know, include some of the diversity that is our game. And, and, um, and I think it's great. Um, and, and as I said, I, I, I thought that, uh, you know, you did well, you're right about the NHL. It, it's, you know, a men's league and it's predominantly white, but, um, there are other stories to be told. And, and so, uh, I think you did a great job. Uh, you know, on, um, on top of that, I, I guess, you know, one of the things that, um, I'm kind of curious about, it. I, I, you know, as you said, you're not going to remember every date, but there's got to be a couple of stories that, you know, in your research kind of maybe either surprised you or were most memorable for you. Uh, you know, maybe one or two stories that you off the top of your head that kind of, you know, maybe opened your eyes a little bit or, or you thought, Hey, that's kind of neat. I didn't realize that was, that happened. Yeah, no, I, that definitely happened a few times. Um, one that immediately comes to mind because I didn't know the story before I ended up going into it was I knew that I was going to include a story about when the Kings acquired Terry Harper from the Canadians. Um, and he had quite a story growing up. He had some you know, significant burns as a youngster. Uh, doctors didn't think you know that he would obviously ever play hockey, let alone walk. Um, but they had agreed that in order to try to rehabilitate his legs, you know, to have him play hockey, despite the fact that they thought he wouldn't be able to, he obviously was able to overcome his injuries and, you know, went on to have a, you know, story to hockey career. But so like, I thought I was just going to write a story about, about Harper, um, you know, going to LA, he became a captain there. He was obviously a big part of, you know, those early Kings teams. But what I discovered as I was doing the research on Harper was that he was part of that trade that brought Marcel Dion to the, to the Kings. But what I didn't know is that he initially didn't, he refused to report to Detroit at first. And he actually ended up starting litigation against the Kings in the NHL because he had just recently signed a contract with the Kings to stay in LA. And after sending him to Detroit, he felt that the Kings had breached a uh, contract with him. And so he was at the time, you know, a, a you know, property of the Detroit Red Wings, but also suing the league and suing the, and suing the Kings. And so, he finally eventually agreed to drop both lawsuits when the, when the Red Wings agreed to renegotiate his contract in Detroit. And so he ended up, he did end up playing that season with, with the Red Wings, but he was obviously a little bit delayed because of his legal battles. Um, but that was one where, again, I just wanted to tell a story about Terry Harper because to me, um, you know, I thought it was significant enough, you know, overcoming his childhood injuries to the, you know, the accomplishments he had in Montreal and ultimately what he did with those early Kings teams coming in as an expansion team. But then you kind of find this other angle that you didn't even know about, right? And so I had to include that. So that's that's always fun is when you when you have an idea about what the story could be about, and then you uncover this half the pull on this further and find out where that went and what the result was. And then and again, as much as you only have 350 words, I was able to try to pack all of that in there. Uh, certainly, I don't think you get the full nuance of the of the legal proceedings in that span, but enough to to have people kind of say, "Hey, I I might not have known that either," and that's kind of what the book's all about. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I, you know, I think that's uh, interesting and, and it kind of brings uh, another thing uh, to mind. I think, you know, I've heard it uh, said about screenwriting, you know, you end up, uh, there's some things that when you, you know, write a screenplay, uh, you just take out because, you know, you really, you thought they were so important to the story, but you don't have room for them and you have to take them mm -hmm. out. There's got to be a couple of stories that you're disappointed didn't make it in. Right, whether they just didn't fit, because I, I, I mean, you're going day by day. You either, you either have, you know, that day covered already, or you don't. Right? Um, yeah. You know, it, you know, is there enough out there? I mean, you're saying, you know, there's enough for a third period, probably a, an overtime, maybe even a double overtime, and so on. Uh, you know, 
are there there's got to be some are there any stories that you're disappointed didn't make them in and you don't have to tell us what they are because we don't want to ruin them for the next uh, <laughs> <laughs> but are there some stories that you're disappointed didn't make it in um there's actually one that i had tried um i tried hard to, to fit it in there um and i'll share this one because i've shared it on twitter so it's not a it's not trade secrets by any means but this was uh it was a report from the 1930s about this it was a it was a in, a in a boys league and there was this goaltender i believe his name was abby goldberg i could be wrong so correct me if i'm wrong but uh you can try to find the tweet and the story was that um he had played a hockey game in net but he had a pack of matches um in his pocket along with a cellophane comb and when the puck hit him in his in his pocket it hit with such force that it struck the matches with the, which then ignited the comb and so like I think the headline was like goal like goalie pants on fire and so <laughs> it became this thing where and again I think it was um you know I shared it on Twitter and it kind of I, I thought it was great and I think we got a lot of interesting response from people who probably hadn't heard that story because it wasn't from a professional league it wasn't from the NHL it was from this this poor 10-year-old boy in Montreal uh what I struggled with was that you know, it obviously would have had to have taken the place of a, probably would have a more significant moment in hockey history. Um, I was also unsure of, you know, could we verify that that actually happened yeah. on the day that it did? Again, certainly you look at the day when the story was published in the newspaper and, you know, they'll typically say on a Thursday night, so you can go back and try to pinpoint that day in the calendar. But, you know, this wasn't, uh, this wasn't a, a league where there were probably plenty of reporters following, following the, following the, the games. Right. So it was kind of one of those things where I had the story like almost like written in my mind of how it was going to kind of flow and people were going to be, you know, I've never heard of this before. Like, this is really interesting. Ultimately I decided not to do it. Um, I forget what we ended up putting in, in place of that, but that's one where I think I would revisit, um, you know, I think maybe further down the line uh, just to find more fun, quirky stories. I think that's a great one that, that again, where I tried in earnest to try to, you know, justify it in my mind to include that. Uh, but I think poor Abby will have to wait maybe till the third or the overtime volume to have that story included. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds to me like the legitimacy of the dates are very yeah. important to you. Uh, I mean, it's, it's maybe important. Maybe you do, uh, some type of an addition where the dates don't matter. <laughs> right. And maybe the stories do. Yeah. That'd be a lot. Uh, that'd be, a, I think a little less, uh, less stressful because certainly I think I agonize over, over the facts, uh, we obviously have a fact checker that works with us too. And I certainly, you know, double, triple fact check my work. Obviously, I know that you're not going to catch everything. But yeah, I think if you were to do a best of the theme of Hockey 365 and you just pick the best stories from around the, from, from across the year without necessarily being too worried about this happened exactly on this day, we know it happened probably around this month or this, this week. Um, you know, that's maybe where we can include a story like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's still still a great story, nonetheless. <laughs> I, you know, I'm kind of curious now. I, I I'm just thinking as I'm I'm listening to you speak about this black bear <laughs> history of the black bears, and and then I and and then I you know I know know a little bit about you. You do uh, you're a historian for the Sudbury Wolves, if I'm not mistaken. You mm -hmm. do some work for the LA Kings. You you know you've write, written for you know across all of these different hockey platforms. Well, how, like what, you know, what, how does, 
how does somebody it, was it a natural transition or did you were you kind of you know like some bloggers out there it got their start just writing a few stories here and there and and while you were doing your phd and and that or how did it all come about how did you become uh this hockey historian this this guy that's writing us all these stories now yeah i would say it's definitely it wasn't a a, a seamless transition um I had, yeah, I was studying, you know, the history of black bear hunting and management uh, in Ontario at McMaster University in Hamilton. And, you know, I had obviously taken a wide array of history courses throughout my time in university, including, you know, sport history. I'd read a lot of sport history. I'd read hockey history. I just never made the connection that that was something I could pursue. I always, after starting my master's, I had focused on a forest fire. So then I just kind of found myself in the environmental history field, which led to the whole, you know, the black bear topic. Um, but it was kind of when I was going through that, I was looking for a different outlet, you know, to kind of channel some of my creativity through that process. And I realized that the skills I was developing as a historian, you know, the researching skills, the communication skills could lend themselves to, to hockey, uh, and telling hockey history stories or just telling any kind of hockey story. And so I did admittedly start, uh, just my own website. I had my own blog where I was doing these, it was like a mashup of Canadian history with uh, my expectations for the slate of Canadian hockey, t- Canadian NHL teams that were playing that night. So I would say, you know, on this day in 1931, the statute of Westminster was signed. And tonight, these five games are happening. Here's what I think the main storylines are going to be. And here's my predictions. And I, you know, did that throughout the season, tallied up, you know, my wins and loss record. It was, it was more on the losses than on the wins. Um, and that's really kind of how I got my feet wet. Um, I ended up then from there adapting that idea for, a Kings fan blog called the Royal half where I was doing moments in California history, but then sandwiching those sandwiching Pacific division games between it. And I was doing that every Tuesday, Thursday night where I would provide a different moment in California history. And then my take on what was going to happen in the Pacific that night. And, you know, it was, I appreciated the Royal half for giving me that outlet and letting me kind of find my voice. It was a bit of a Frankenstein that I don't know who the demographic was that wanted both. <laughs> the hardcore like Canadian or California history, along with my take on what the Kings were going to do in Dallas that night. But I think it kind of gave me the confidence to move forward. I got some other opportunities here with my local paper, the Northern life to kind of take that Canadian history thing and adapt it for that. But it was after doing that for a few years that I realized that if I really wanted to kind of make further inroads into, you know, the hockey world, I should probably just stick with the hockey stories. Um, Obviously, as I mentioned, there's plenty of great hockey writers and historians out there that I've been following and reading over the years. And I just felt that this was the thing that I really liked to write about. Um, I certainly liked what I was doing in academia, but it just wasn't something I saw myself doing long-term. I didn't think that I had the, the appetite or the stomach for writing peer-reviewed uh, journal articles. I wanted to write stories that people would read um, and connect with and have fun with. And so that's kind of where the hockey came from. And, and to be honest, from there, it just kind of, you know, kind of uh, snowballed. I got some opportunities with Vice, uh, with Sportsnet, had a couple bylines with The Athletic, and then that's kind of where the the book uh, kind of came into it. And then within, yeah, like right around the time that the book came out, I started doing my first stories for the LA Kings. Uh, to date, I've written over 50 stories for the Kings, um, and I also became the Sudbury Wolves team historian uh, just a few months before the first book was released in, in 2018. And so, uh, again, I, I think I've been fortunate enough to get some opportunities that have come my way. Um, but, but I think certainly it was not a, a clear path. I definitely did not go into my PhD thinking that I would end up coming out of this with, with two books about hockey history. I think that if I were to think about what I thought my journey would be at the time, 
when I started my PhD in, in 2010, I would have thought I would have a book in front of me about history of black bear hunting. And that's what we'd be talking about. Right. But, <laughs> but, uh, life, life is a journey and it's, it's fun if you, if you just kind of enjoy the ride. Yeah. Yeah. No, no kidding. No kidding. I, I hundred percent agree. So let's it maybe uh, switch gears a bit because I'm, I'm interested in this. I know we're talking about the book tonight, but the Sudbury wolves, I actually, and I wish I remembered his name a couple of years ago, I played hockey with the guy who played for the Sudbury wolves. I was, I was uh, living out in Calgary and he, he played uh, just shinny hockey and, and he'd come and he'd have his old wolves Jersey on or something, maybe a practice Jersey or something. I knew he played for them. Anyway, uh, now every team's got a Wikipedia. Do you regularly check the Wikipedia for, uh, make sure it's got the right facts? I'm, I'm just curious about this, uh, <laughs> because, cause, you know, I mean, I've, I've, honestly, if I was a historian, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be constantly checking my, uh, my area of interest and saying, well, that's not right. I'm <laughs> that'd be a full-time job. Yeah, no, I think that could be a full-time job, not just for the Wolves, but I think for, for all the teams out there. I think, yeah. and I will admit that I think the Wolves page is probably a little more sparse than what you'd find at the NHL, but I think I would I would definitely go to that and check it out. Um, I would never make edits, but I would kind of flag things where I would uncover through the course of my research that that didn't happen the day that we, we that it said it did, or maybe these individuals were not, were not involved. But I think as my in my role as team historian for the Wolves, um, I think it was kind of going into it, you thought, you'd be doing more of those, uh, you know, I think the curation and, you know, preservation of those moments in hockey history. But I think what became clear pretty early on was that what the goal behind that whole project has been is to try to find ways to connect. I think the younger fans that we have now with the previous generations, I mean, the wolves have been around in Sudbury since 1972. They've had a lot of great players over the years. Um, there's people who take their kids to games now or grandparents who take their kids to games now that watched, you know, Mike Felino and Ron Dugay and Randy Carlisle tear it up in the seventies. And, you know, up until recently, like you're watching Quentin Byfield do his thing with the Wolves, you know, in the time that he was here before he was drafted second overall by the Kings. So it was always, you know, there's that communal spirit there where you're taking family members to the game and you have these family members who remember these different eras in, in Wolves history. And it's, it's just a matter of trying to connect with them in that way to try to, you know, you know, build that investment into the team across the board. And so, that was always the goal. And so I think we realized that it wasn't going to be me, you know, in an archives trying to, you know, put all these documents together so that future historians could look at them. It was more of telling those stories immediately that could have an impact of the fans. But I think the other thing that I didn't necessarily see my role as when I first started that I, I came to appreciate and I think kind of take pride in was that at the junior hockey level, you have players that, that come and go quite regularly. Um, you know, not all of them stick around for four years. Some of them are there for a season, some of them are there for two, and then they're gone. And, you know, you have the Quinton Byfields who hopefully go on to have a great NHL career, but you have other guys who are just as valuable to those local clubs that don't go on to play professional hockey. Um, you know, maybe they go overseas for a few years and they play hockey there, but they come back and they get careers in various fields, you know, from becoming firefighters to to doctors or or accountants for that matter. And so, I thought it was a great way to connect with the alumni family because it's such a huge group because you have these players who may only spend a couple of years with you and they go on and do whatever it is they do. And sometimes you lose track of them. Right. So I think it was kind of a cool opportunity for the team to keep tabs on some of those players and kind of celebrate them uh, by having these stories done about them. So I think that was something I didn't really fully realize going into it, but I think now 
as I think about what it would be like to be a team historian, I think a big part of your job is, is connecting with the alumni and making sure that they're properly, you know, celebrated and accounted for in the team's history. Yeah. You know, I think that's great. I, I have, um, a couple of, uh, relatives, uh, uncles that played in the WHL and, and, um, you know, I think like they didn't go on of course to play in the NHL, but you know, I, I love the fact that they are celebrated with the teams that they, you know, they played for, you know, just for having been alumni. I think that's, you know, that's, um, yeah, it's really neat that, um, you know, there's an active, uh, active part of the team that's doing that. And, uh, one thing that, um, came to mind though you you mentioned Ron Duguay I didn't realize he played for the Sudbury Wolves uh is there like a Zapruder film or something of him with his hair flowing uh, <laughs> skating uh, I because I can only imagine what those locks looked like in the in the 70s uh I mean he was of course he you know he played in LA have you had a chance to yeah. meet him uh uh, we've, we've interacted a little bit on Twitter. I never, I, I'd hoped to do a story about him with the wolves. It just never kind of worked out the timing wise, but yeah, I think that, you know, I think back to him, I, I picture him more with the Rangers, obviously in his, in his flowing hair. Um, <laughs> unfortunately there's not a lot of great photographs that the team has been able to preserve over the years. Right. So, um, I would imagine that maybe there's some fans who had photographs, um, or maybe some of the, you know, some of from the newspaper coverage, but, uh, yeah, it would it, to see it. I think in in film though is really give you the full appreciation of, <laughs> totally. of, of what he had, right? Way, so, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I you know what I remember of of Ron Duguay <laughs> kind of off topic, but I feel like he was smiling at the fans as he was skating by all the time too. I mean, he's quite the character, and he's still quite yeah. the character. I you know I see he's doing some broadcasting now, of course, and uh, <laughs> he does those uh, cameo. <laughs> that are becoming quite yeah. popular and he's, he's quite hilarious when you do get to talk to him you'll have to let me know yeah i think he's a character and uh you know a good personality in the league and probably i i'm like is there somebody when you think about the sudbury wolves like a character or a personality that uh that comes to mind that you know was maybe the life of of the wolves over a period of time i, I know kids they don't get to play too long at the junior level right? So maybe it's hard to, you know, but, um, you know, when you think about the blades, of course, you think, uh, Wendell Clark or, you know, somebody mm -hmm. like that, like is some, is somebody that sort of, uh, when everybody thinks of the Sudbury wolves and I, and sorry, I don't know a ton about them, <laughs> but, uh, is there somebody that comes to mind for you? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's actually quite a few guys, especially in town, right? Cause again, with these clubs, it's usually a local following. It's not necessarily expected that you'd be you'd have a household name in a different city, unless of course they did something notorious uh, and they were probably remembered for all the wrong reasons by the <laughs> yeah, opposing yeah. team. Uh, but I mean, I think of guys, you know, who didn't necessarily go on to have NHL careers. You know, I think of uh, Norm Milley who had, you know, he's now coaching in the OHL, but he was, he was quite the player in Sudbury. Um, you know, I think he was the last player to have back to back, you know, 50 goal seasons, if I'm not mistaken. And he was just a fan favorite. He worked hard. He had that type of game, but he was also very gifted defensively. Um, you know, so somebody like that is, is somebody who I wasn't in Subway at the time when Norm was going through his heyday, but you talk to fans of the Wolves who have been living in Subway their lives. And, you know, it's easy to say, you know, the Felinos or, or Carlisle or, or Duguay, but, you know, you hear, you hear the name Norm Millie quite a bit because of what he did. Um, you know, Jamie Rivers is another one that comes up and certainly I think he's, you know, he's, he's still part of the game now with what he's doing at St. Louis. 
Um, but I think he was a fan favorite here in Sudbury. I've had the chance to talk to him over the years about his, his role at the Wolves. And, you know, he was fortunate to be a part of the club in the, you know, in the early to mid nineties when they had some strong playoff runs. Um, you know, that, so I, I think for somebody like him, you know, you remember him because he had such a long career at the Wolves as well. And he obviously logged a lot of miles for the team. But it's it's guys like that, and obviously Rivers went on to have an NHL career, so I just kind of contradicted what I said. Um, <laughs> but I think of you know I think of another guy like like Bobby Shomont who who had played you know quite a lot of games for the Wolves was you know was was an integral part of some of those runs. He didn't go on to play uh, in the NHL, but I think locally here he's a guy who I think was is the life of the party as well. I had the chance to meet him a few times. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's the you know the nice thing about you know the the allegiances we have to our local junior clubs is you get to know those players because they are a part of the community. You know, obviously if they're there for longer, they really kind of embed themselves in the fabric of that town, and you get to know them and support them and kind of follow their progress. Um, but I think that's always the kind of the thing is if you talk to somebody locally, you know they they might say Quinton Byfield, but you know they remember those other players who made it who had a who had a you know different kind of impact, not just because they were the superstars and were drafted, you know, second overall, but because of the other things that they did for the community and, and some of the other things they did as part of their, their time with the team. Yeah. And for those listening, there are some, uh, ex, uh, and big name Oilers that played, uh, for the Wolves, Ethan Moreau, one that I, Mike Peck, of course, who was part of the 2006 team that, um, went to the finals. I, one, one other one I would say just for the Oilers is, is Zach Shortini. Is, oh, yeah. Uh, Huggy is, Bear. Is, is, yeah. Is, <laughs> a, is the Wolves alumnus. And, um, and, you know, he's now coaching with the Wolves as well. Oh, is um, he? You know, he'd play, oh, right on. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's one of the, uh, one of the assistants or one of the associates. And it's, it's funny in terms of guys that you remember. Um, I always think back, I went to high school with Zach briefly. He, he came to Lockerbie where I went to high school for a year or so. And I'd always see him in the gym in the summer. And I always found, I always found it was hilarious because he was such a down to earth, genuine guy that he would always want to ask me, you know, you know, quite earnestly, like, what was I up to? What was going on in my life when <laughs> we knew that he was playing in the NHL that year. So certainly anything that I could have said, in my opinion, would have paled to what he did, but he genuinely wanted to know what you were doing. You know, I was taking history of Laurentian and to him, that was the coolest thing. Yeah. Um, you know, despite the fact that he could have probably shared some stories with me that, you know, would have made my head spin. So <laughs> I, that's what I always appreciate about a guy like Source was just, uh, just how down to earth and genuine and sincere he is, uh, with everybody. Yeah. No, I, you know what, that comes off. I, I have had the chance to play at a couple of, uh, like, uh, pro-ams with, uh, Ethan Moreau and, and, uh, enjoyed playing with him quite the character. In fact, played on his line, uh, both times I, I played and, and, um, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's a fun guy too. Of course he's still in the area. I think Niagara Falls right now. So kind of neat. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's really cool. Um, uh, Wolves have a good team this year. Do you know? Just curious because I like to follow junior as well. Yeah, I think they've got a, it's, it's always comes down to, it, it seems over the years, uh, you know, goaltending, um, with the team, right. Um, I can't speak to what, where I think the goaltending is going to be at this year, but I think if, if they have a, they were recently won, you know, the first overall selection. So they've got, you know, Quentin Musty, who's a, an American player coming in who, again, if he lives up to his billing should, you know, be a difference maker this year. Um, but what I think, you know, is, is something to keep an eye on as well is that Chase Stillman, who was recently drafted 29th overall by the Devils, is probably likely to come back to Sudbury this year. And I think he's got something to prove um, by being a first-round pick. I think a lot of the the prognosticators out there didn't have him going in the first round. I think they probably had him going in the, you know, the second round, maybe later towards the end of the second round. Um, so I think he's aware of that. 
um, and he knows that he wants to come back to Sudbury and be a leader and to be that veteran of that team because you know before the before COVID he was he was obviously a rookie so he's he's I think looking to take his game to the next level. He had a really good you know tournament at the at the U eighteen World Championship before the draft, which I think helped his stock rise up because he is he had proven that he could be you know he could play on both sides of the puck. Uh, he had you know a pretty dog dogged fierce player who you know wasn't afraid to go into the corners and so he has. I think all of these attributes to his game that could make for, you know, really great all around player. Um, but it's just a matter of, I think, you know, him taking it to the next level and, and proving that the devils were right in taking them where they did. So I think if he comes back, plus, you know, some of the other veterans are coming back and some of the new players who we haven't had the chance to really see, you know, over the last year and a half because of, you know, hockey at those levels really being shut down. Um, I'm just kind of, I'm just really excited about being able to get back into that old barn um, it's been around since the early fifties. Uh, if, if your listeners aren't familiar with the Sudbury arena, I'll share this one quirk about it that, uh, and this goes back to pre OHL or pre OHA days. Uh, they have this taxidermic wolf that hangs from the rafters <laughs> and whenever the opposing, whenever the wolves score, uh, they, they hit a switch and the wolf goes across this pulley and it stops <laughs> in front of the opposing team's bench, just kind of hovers in front of them, taunting them. And then they and then they retract the wolf. It goes back up into its corner, and they do that. So there's nothing better than going to a wolves game when they're lighting the lamp. That wolf keeps going by. It doesn't matter how many times you've seen the wolves play. It doesn't matter if you're 36 years old like me, or if you're taking your daughter for the first time. The look on people's faces when that wolf comes out is priceless, and it's always a treat to take somebody to a wolves game for the first time because you want you want to tell them keep your eye on that corner if they score. That's the first thing you have to look at is is to watch the wolf make its run across the ice. Oh, that's that's right on. I I wasn't aware of that, but that's uh, that's really cool. Yeah, I I yeah. um I got out to uh, as soon as I got here. I'm new to Halifax, but um, this year I I got season tickets for the Mooseheads. Oh, right on. I, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a big junior hockey fan, and of course the Q is an exciting league, as is the OHL. They all are, to be fair. Um, but I did get out to a, a preseason game. Uh, here a couple nights ago, and and uh, it was great just to be in a in an arena again and and watching a um, watching a team play and and uh, you know hearing the whistle and hearing the ice and mm-hmm. and all of those uh, those things that um, I think we took uh, took for granted uh, for so long, yeah. and um, so it's just it was it's really great and and hopefully uh, all stays as is and we you know we're I'm watching a lot of Mooseheads hockey this year. <laughs> Of course, uh, World Juniors will be back uh, as well. I just got uh, a note in my email that uh, my tickets are still available for uh, for Edmonton. So maybe I'll be spending some time over Christmas with some old friends. We'll see. <laughs> not a not a bad way to spend the holiday. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. No kidding. So I've got to ask, and and uh, we're closing in at the end of the hour. Um, but I'm, you know, there's got to be. We, you know, we talked a little bit about this. You know, 350 word limit. Let's get back to this to your book. Uh, so, hockey three sixty five, the second period. What's the story that you can think of that you really had to crunch it to get it down to three hundred and fifty words? That you, you know, it, it, here and now you got, you know, you got nine minutes. Maybe you don't need to use them all up, but you know, what's one that you 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 know you can think of the story that you just you know there's way more to it. Is there one that comes to mind? Um. Well, I mean, I think all of them, you could, you could devote more than 350 words, right? But I think, you know, to go back to, to one of the points I made earlier that I think in the moment, as you start to get into it more and you get a rhythm and you're doing, 
you know, two of these, three of these a day, every day for like basically six months straight, your brain real figures out how to take what is usually, what is oftentimes like a very, you know, complicated or protracted period in a player's career or in a team's, you know, history and try to like strip away as much of it as you can <laughs> without losing too much nuance that it, it be kind of becomes a skill. Right. And uh, so I think that once I kind of got into that groove, like, you just knew and accepted that you were not going to be able to talk about all of that, right? It's just impossible to say, we can add this in and I can add this and I can add this. And so I think that was, I think, one of the things I learned going into this process, especially knowing that we had the limits. Um, there were certainly some times where, you know, sentences had to get cut, you know, things had to be removed just because we were going to be over and it was going to go over to the next page. Um, but I think just knowing that that was the game plan going into it, um, I had accepted the fact that you weren't going to get to tell everything, right? And I think there's definitely sentences where you're like, ah, we should have kept that because I thought it was a really great line. And, uh, you know, maybe I thought it was funny, but the editor's like, it's not that funny. We can get rid of it. Um, but yeah, I think because you know what it's like going into it, um, you're, you're more, you know, I think, in a better position to kind of, you know, cut uh, to cut ties with certain sections that you know you're just not going to be able to cover. I think one of the other nice things is that you know, while one story focuses on one event um, that happened on that given day, I've, I've revisited in other stories, right? So players appear in multiple stories. So if you're not able to kind of cover it in one story, you can kind of shelve them to another part of the book um, and kind of pick it up there, maybe where you left off. So, no, I think it wasn't it wasn't necessarily challenging, um, you know, as, as I think you might expect, because I think once you kind of get into the groove, you just kind of know that that's your reality, right? And that you're going to have to cut it off at some point and you're just going to have to accept the fact that I think also part of it too is knowing that the hardcore hockey history fans know how those stories end. So yeah. I think I have game one of, you know, the, the 1993 playoff series between the Leafs and the Kings. We know how that story ends. I don't talk about how that story ends because obviously it's painful to revisit, but uh, it's, it's kind of leaves off that the Leafs won that first game. And it was obviously a, a pretty uh, night to remember with, you know, with Clark and, and McSorley. Um, but I don't, I don't revisit the series again in the book, but we all know what happens in, in game seven, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the, uh, one of the interesting things, and, um, I was just kind of hopping around today's date because, uh, you know, it's relevant as, as we're reading, you know, I mean, if I was to read it and, and I, and I suspect most people will be like me, they, you know, in fact, one of the reviews you got from uh, a pretty big name, I think, was, you know, I I had a hard time sticking to one day at a time, and, and you certainly you certainly can't once you start reading it, and you know, you read and you keep reading, and and you realize you've done a week, maybe two weeks in there. Uh, but if I'm just going around, of course, uh, tomorrow is the Howard Chuck to Lemieux to Gretzky to Lemieux uh, goal, mm -hmm. uh, which is phenomenal, and and. Um, a Canada Cup, uh, which I miss uh, from those days. Um, I think you just said you're in your mid-30s, so you probably don't remember that it's quite with the same level that I remember it. It was pretty exciting. I'm about 10 years mm -hmm. older. Uh, and uh, in fact, you probably would have been like two or three at the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so it's too bad, but you, I'm sure you've seen tons of video. But yeah. you know, live, it was, uh, of course, pretty intense and pretty exciting. That was, a, you know, an interesting, um, interesting time. But the one that, uh, you know, September 19th, I don't know if you remember what that date is. I have the book, so I could always, I could All do right. a quick flip, so. 
I'm prepared. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you ha- you might have a couple yeah. copies uh, nearby. Yeah, I've got a couple couple copies kicking around for sure. Yeah. So uh, there's one, you know, for you as a Leafs fan, for me as an Oilers fan, of course, that was uh, you know a bit of a big deal. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, you were probably like five or six years old, but um, I one of the I I um I've got some friends over at uh, Let's Go Blues Radio, and you actually have another story, I believe, about St. Louis acquiring. Uh, Grant Fear, uh, so Grant Fear has obviously shown up, you know, a couple times, mm-hmm. and and as as I'm sure a lot of you know for Oilers fans, uh, it, in fact, there's a ton of Oilers history in here from those from those years. Um, do you remember much about this particular uh, the Maple Leafs and Fear? Do you remember much about that? Uh, I know I'm putting you on the spot. I know it, <laughs> you know it's, it's no, no, yeah, yeah, that, no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I I remember writing that one, and again, it was another one where again you kind of you knew about like his his hiatus from the Oilers because of his substance abuse issues, right? And so this was kind of his uh, his, his his first return to the league. I just liked how he happened to be playing, you know, preseason game against the Leafs, and you know, it was like the the Leafs wanted to acquire Fear. They probably wanted to acquire him for quite some time to get a, a caliber goalie like Fear in the net. Um, and so I think that's another one where you get, you, we know that the transaction happens on paper on September 19th, but certainly I think that's an example where you can kind of go back, talk about his time with the Oilers, what kind of led up to his departure, uh, and then ultimately what, what happened with his time in the Leafs and how he was flipped to, to Buffalo, which ultimately brought, you know, Dave Anderchuk uh, back to the Leafs, which was obviously also a pretty instrumental move for Toronto fans, uh, for, for the Leafs and Toronto fans remember that. Um, so I think that that's always that's what I try to do with those stories is, is, is again to when you can kind of go, you know, try to find as much information as you can about that player and see what else is interesting other than just what happened that day. Because certainly, you know, again, it's still pretty much, you know, not quite the dog days of summer, but September 19th, um, you know, we're still just in the middle of preseason still, you know, a few weeks away from the regular season starting. And so if you're able to kind of take something beyond, you know, what had precipitated, what had led up to that trade in a preseason matchup, um, I think it just adds a little bit more color to the story. Yeah. Yeah. I th- you know, and, and you would know better than anybody, but I think history is a lot like a, you know, a true crime story, right. Or, you know, a detective, you know, when that big wall where they've got all the little pieces and web together, everything, <laughs> uh, that's one of the things that sort of struck me, you know, um, of course I remember all of the Oilers stuff that came up, but one of the ones that came up was the Oilers offer sheet. Uh, to Vanek. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about that is, is if if you had, if for instance, uh, if that had gone the other way, and and Buffalo had say uh, said, you know, go ahead. Well, that's Taylor Hall. That's Ryan Nugent Hopkins. That's mm-hmm. Jordan Eberle. Uh, and um, I know Taylor Hall appeared in there. I don't know about uh, Eberle and Nugent Hopkins just off the top of my head, but Taylor Hall, definitely the trade uh, mm-hmm. for Larson appeared in your book. I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's, um, it just struck me as I'm reading this, the, you know, this sort of web and these dominoes that fall, uh, you know, does that, I, I'm sure that must come into mind at all. Like, you know, this, I mean, you just mentioned it. That, that's what precipitates the Anderchuk, right? Uh, going mm-hmm. back to Toronto and and uh, yeah, and it's, it's it's funny you mention that because when I initially had wrote that story about the the Vanek offer sheet, um, part of I think I'd actually had a draft where it was the, it was like 
the hindsight, right? What if the what if the Sabers, you know, didn't match and they took those first those four first round picks? What would Buffalo look like? What would Edmonton look like? That was an, that was an example actually where I didn't have enough time to probably get into that properly to see, you know, to set this up. That obviously we know what those picks ended up being for Edmonton, um, but what would what would it be? Certainly, obviously, you can't exactly say that they would exactly line up the way that they would because certainly the standings come into into account and and where those teams would have finished, but it would have been a, it, those hypothetical exercises of, of what may, what could have happened. Right. And I think that's always, I think you could do a book just on that about like all these what ifs in hockey history of, of trades that didn't come to fruition or offer yeah. sheets that, you know, weren't matched or were matched. And, and what was the result uh, of that? So I think, you know, that would probably lend itself to a book where you're not constrained by, you know, the, the days of the week. Um, I think you could definitely go into more detail about like, what would have that, what would have it been like for, you know, for Buffalo uh, if that happened. Right. And what would have meant for Edmonton? So, yeah, I know it's that, that is, I had that in there and then I cut it because it was getting kind of unruly. So I just said like, we don't have enough time. Let's just focus on Vanek. Um, there's kind of a neat little, you know, ending point there when he gets traded to the Islanders. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's great. And, and if you happen to do a, a what if book, I, I hope in the pregame you mentioned that. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, mentioned I, got, it. I got the idea from <laughs> no. Michael on Oilers Live. <laughs> Oilers Live Tuesday. Yeah. Hey, uh, Mike, um, we've been at this for about an hour and, and it's been great. I could, I could definitely talk to you all night and, and, um, or for 365 days. Uh, I'll let you uh, finish just by kind of letting everybody know uh, where they can find Hockey 365 and where they can find you and um, and then uh, anything, any other little, little last tidbits you might have. Sure. Well, yeah, you can you can find me uh, on Twitter at Mike Comito. Um, and then, of course, the book is Hockey 365, uh, the second period, more daily stories from the ice. It's uh, it's not officially out yet in Canada. It comes out on September 28th, but you can still pre-order it from wherever you like to get books. So that includes Amazon, Indigo, or your favorite independent bookseller. If you just want to go in and ask them to pre-order it for you, they will. Um, but otherwise, in yeah, two weeks' time from today, exactly, the book will be out. Uh, so I look forward to doing that. It's obviously going to be a little bit different this year. I did an in-person launch three years ago. Might be a bit of a you know a mix of in-person and, and, and virtual delivery this year. Uh, but I'm still excited to, to get the book out there and have people read it. So I think, yeah, that's that's probably where I leave it at. Is if you can find if you can find me on Twitter, you'll probably find where you can buy the book. Uh, but definitely check it out wherever you like to buy books. Uh, you can find it there under Hockey under Hockey 365. All right. Well, thanks so much. I'll uh, get you to stick around just for another minute. Uh, thanks everybody. Have a great night. We're out of here.